Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I'm Sophia, uh, the founder of Nasty Gal, the founder of Girl Boss, the author of Girl Boss, and the author of Nasty Galaxy, which is a book that has just been out for one short month. As most of you guys know, uh, this is a podcast where I interview a different woman who inspires me, who's achieved something great. We chart her story from the very beginning, how she got her start, what she's learned along the way, and what she has to share with us so we can accomplish our dreams. Today's guest is Allie Webb, the founder of Dry Bar. She's been a professional hairstylist, she's worked in retail, and she's a college dropout. But it wasn't until 2008 when Allie really found her passion. She started a side business called Straight at Home, which provided in-home blowouts on a referral basis in Los Angeles. When the popularity of Straight at Home grew beyond her one-woman show, she expanded and opened a brick-and-mortar store called Dry Bar in Brentwood. Dry Bar is based on the simple concept of focusing on one thing and being the best at it blowouts. They now have 67 locations across the country and a massive product line. Her new book, Great Hair for All, uh, teaches you to achieve a great blowout at home. Uh, I'm thrilled Allie could join us today at Neuhaus Hollywood. Allie, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, okay, so I start the podcast. Pretty much the same way every week, okay. which is like, where did you get your start? And your start's interesting, I think, because it's yeah. very uh, akin to where you are today. Yeah. Um, so what was your first job? Well, I, my one of my first jobs was I, I had a couple and my parents actually owned their own clothing store as when I was growing up as a kid. So entrepreneurial blood was kind of always in my, my family. But I, the first job of note that I think was most impactful to me was when I was probably just in high school and I was working at a hair salon as a receptionist. And, you know, to backtrack a little, I have naturally really curly, frizzy hair. And I used to beg my mom to pull out my hair when I was a kid and like seven, eight years old, like very young. So like the hair thing has always been there for me. And when obviously it's not surprising that I was drawn to like a rece- being a receptionist at a hair salon. And um, I loved it because the stylist would blow out my hair and they were actually good at it as opposed to my mom who wasn't a stylist and wasn't great at it. Um, but they would blow out my hair and it was so magical to me. And I was like, Oh my God, these, these people are like gods, you know, mm-hmm. and I loved it and I would watch them and study it. And I just loved the environment of a hair salon. Like there were so many great personalities yeah. and I loved everything about it. And I mean, it, it would have, it will take me year. It would took me years to like hone in on that being my thing and going through life and figuring things out. But I, I have such fine memories of working at that hair salon. That's so cool. And so, and, but you did go to college for, for a hot second, you know, after, after high school, I, you know, when all my friends like were figuring out what they wanted to do with their lives and kind of had a path, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And my parents, I was always kind of the underachiever of the family. And my brother, Michael, who's my business partner now, uh, was just always a really smart one, naturally smart. I was always like, what is Allie, what the hell is Allie going to do with her life in my family? But I went to traditional college. I grew up in South Florida, so I went to FSU for a year. And I was like, I hated it. I didn't go to class that much. And I was, I mean, the college part of it was fun. I mean, yeah. the, the social part of it was fun. But I was like, this is not for me. I moved home and then I started, I thought I wanted to do something in fashion. So I went to the Fashion Institute of Fort Lauderdale and studied fashion marketing. And that was like... Okay. And, and then I ended up actually working for Nicole Miller for a couple of years and moved to New York City and worked for Nicole Miller and it kind of started to go down the fashion path and still it just wasn't my thing. And I found myself 
always searching for what I wanted to do. That's so interesting. And so when did you circle back and get involved with hair again? So, so my brother and I, who are business partners now, um, we actually, when I was still trying to figure things out, we both were living in New York City. We moved back to uh, Florida and opened a couple of Nicole Miller boutiques. They were like licensing. And and I, so I was like in my early 20s, like running a clothing store in Boca and Miami. And I, and I kind of like, my brother and I were fighting and I looked around and I was like, this is not it. Like, I am not really happy. And that was when I was like, I felt a little bit at the end of my rope. Like, what am I going to do now? And and that's when I decided like to kind of listen to that inner voice and, and decided I wanted to go to beauty school. And my parents were like, really? You want to go to beauty school? And they, they had these little old lady, old lady stores, clothing stores that was like the Schmata business. What was it called? Flips. It was my dad's nickname. And they were really smart and very innovative because they opened their stores in in South Florida in these little old lady shopping centers because and their really only place that old ladies could shop was like the mall and go to department stores at that time. This was like 25 years ago. They opened these little stores next to the bagel shop and next to the little crappy hair salon. Uh And I think that's what my parents like envisioned me working in that hair salon. And I was like, no, you guys, I'm going to move to New York and I'm going to do editorial and I'm going to do all these great things. And, and they really didn't see the vision, but very supportive parents. And I'm like, if you want to go to beauty school, we'll, we'll help you do that. And my brother, ironically, was very like, I think you should do this. You would be great in, in this world. So I took the plunge in my early twenties and went to beauty school and similar to my, receptionist job in high school I as soon as I walked in those doors I was like ah this is like where I was meant to be and and I loved every second of beauty school I, I even though I didn't learn that much it, it's a fun place to be it, they don't beauty schools I don't think prepare you I worked at a hair salon for an owner for a long time and that's where I feel like I really like honed my craft but yeah. but yeah so it was like in my early 20s that I decided to go to beauty school and and like kind of never looked back and felt like it was like the place to, that I wanted to be so who were you assisting and how long did you assist after beauty school? So I was assisting someone you've probably never heard of in South Florida and Boca. His name was John Peters and he owned a salon and he was very, very talented. And he really looked up to John Sahag, who back in the day was like the pioneer of dry cutting. He was like it. He was doing all the celebrities. His salon on Madison Avenue was like the place to be. So of course I got it in my head that I wanted to go work for him. Mm-hmm. And this was the guy who my boss at the time looked up to. So I moved to New York City walked in in like leather pants and was like, I'm going to get this job. And I did. And he hired me pretty much on the spot. But I was an assistant there at that salon in New York. And he had these two big greyhounds that I used to like have to walk on Madison Avenue. It was a very humbling experience. But I didn't care because it was like the best salon in the world. And it was like quite the like boot camp for blow dries because the way their method was flat ironing hair, cutting it dry. Then someone like me would wash it and blow it. And that's Mm -hmm. how the whole process went. So it was an unbelievable education in blow drying hair. Wow. It was like all of these things I did looking back prepared me for what I do now. Yeah, it sounds like it was as rigorous as what it is that you guys do today because I know that you guys have a lot of I mean, the consistency of the blowouts, it's almost like ordering like a soy chai at Starbucks, like it better be to the exact exactly. specifications or else and you exactly. have a client base who I'm sure travels and totally expects that. So, putting in your 10,000 hours, I guess as they yes. say is a really Yes, we love that Malcolm Gladwell quote. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we always say it because I've put in well over that. But yeah, I mean, that is the that is one of the biggest keys to our success is ensuring that our clients have the same experience from location to location. And we have put in so much time and energy and money into ensuring yeah. that, you ha- that you have that. So at some point you had your own mobile blowout mm-hmm. business. Was mm-hmm. that 
So you quit Nicole Miller and you're like So well between, after Nicole Miller I went to beauty school and then I moved to then I worked in hair in South Florida for a while, then I moved to New York City for a while. Then I met my husband in New York City and Ironically, we lived on the same street, um, but we met met in a bar called Hell in Meatpacking before Meatpacking was what it is now. This was like 15 years ago, and at that point, I just wanted to get married and have kids, and so we got married and had babies and moved to LA. And he worked in advertising, and my husband Cameron does all the creative, so anything you ever see, packaging, website, it's so product good. design, he's he's so good at that. So I we moved to LA, and I was I had two kids, and I was a stay at home mom, and I was like happy as could be, and then. After like five years of that, I was like, oh my God, I'm not using my brain as much as I'd like to and I can't spend another afternoon at the park and all respect to stay-at-home moms. But after five years, like I just, I couldn't do it anymore and I got the itch to get back out there. And so I started a mobile blow-dry business and that, and that was like meant to be like a little like side gig for me. Cameron, my husband made me a one-page website. It was called Straight at Home. And I was like, I'll just go to women's homes and hit, it was a great marketing lesson for me because he was like, if you make a really cute website, people will call you. And he was right. I posted this website on a bunch of mommy blogs. I put it at like the pump station and everywhere I was going in my my very mommy world in LA and sure enough people started calling me and I was only charging 40 bucks which as you know to go to someone's house is so cheap but mm-hmm. I was just more about getting away from my kids than it was about making money and what I quickly discovered during that mobile business was that there was this hole in the marketplace and women weren't getting blowouts regularly somewhere and like women like me who knew what a blowout was their whole life were but if they were doing it they were going to their regular cotton color salon and overpaying like, you know, 80, 100 a bucks lot. for a blowout. Yeah. Or they were going to like the Fantastic Sam's, which, you know, great Ooh. business, but <laughs> not the kind of place you want to be seen in. And they would literally be like, I wear my big glasses. I get in and out of there as quickly as possible. You know, I'm sitting next to a kid getting their hair cut. Like, it sucks. And that's when it, that's I think when the light bulb really went off for me. I was like, there is nothing in between. Like, there's nothing like dry bar that exists for women to go in and get a blowout in a beautiful space at a good price and get a good blowout where, where a stylist wasn't pressuring you to get cotton color, you know, and, and or, you know, any the, the variable pricing and all that stuff. So that's when I went to my brother and he was kind of watching my little success with my mobile business. And I said, you know, I want, I think I want to turn my mobile business into a brick and mortar. And he's bald and was like, what the fuck is a blowout? <laughs> like, you know, I was like, did you not grow up in the same house with me? My curly frizzy hair. But he didn't understand the concept. And his wife happens to have like stick straight, perfect hair. Like she's like the 1%. And he's like, Sarah doesn't get blowouts. I'm like, Sarah doesn't count. And I explained to him how it like, can be life-changing when you get a great blowout and your hair looks good and how good women feel. And he got on board with it very quickly, as did my husband. And his whole thing was like, I never notice when you get your nails done, but I always notice when your hair is done, like when you've gotten a blowout. So they were very bullish about the idea. And my brother gave me $250,000 to start the business. My husband and I put our life savings, which wasn't much, into it. And we were like, we'll do one store and see how it goes. And I thought, you know, I'll pick up my kids from preschool. I'll run this business. And Brentwood was our first location. And, like, that'll be my life. Seems like a nice, really manageable lifestyle. Yeah. Easy peasy. But that didn't happen. It's not manageable anymore, is it? It's not manageable. And it's not easy. So you took five years to be a stay-at-home mom and then went back into the workforce. I'm sure there's a lot of ladies listening to this podcast thinking about doing the same. Yep. Um, what would your advice be to them and how to think about that. I mean, obviously, if you're going crazy, you have to do, do something. something. Yeah. But there's some people who maybe, you know, may not be there yet. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I think that there are, I think it's definitely like there's this age of women-ism right now where so many women are starting their own business. And I think it's such a great time for women. And I think that women have to, I think there's, there's a certain amount of like, I just, you just have to go for it and not be too worried about failure or, you know, I always say that like we, yes, a lot of money would have been lost if dry bar failed and that would have been really bad, but like nobody would have died and we would have all gotten other jobs and like life goes on. And I think that people are afraid of taking risks. And I've, I've spoken to a lot of women, as I'm sure you have, who are like, ah, I, you know, I'm a lawyer and I don't want to quit my job because I make so much money and I'm afraid to like have no income. And, and th- that's, that's scary stuff, you know, but I, I also, I think I go back to like life is short and you can figure out a way to, make your dream a reality. And I think that there's, I always say too that like we didn't invent blowouts. We just created a much better space and environment to execute them. There's a million things out there like that, that you're like, I love, I love doing this, but I wish it was better or I wish it was a little Mm -hmm. different. And I think there's so much opportunity out there. And I think that a lot of women are taking advantage of that, that, you know, it's like putting it all out there and taking a chance, I think is something that people just, you know, to do more. And I think people are, I mean, I, I was yeah. just at, I just spoke at a conference and I don't remember the exact statistic, but it was like something like women owned businesses are like skyrocketing in, you know, today and women are That's taking, so cool. There's a lot more support for it. There is. Yeah. So tell me about opening your first, your first salon. Cause that is just, you know, the first time yeah. you do that and replicating something is, is hard too. Yeah. But you know, what did you, how did you put it together? You know, who did you hire first? And then today, what does your team look like? I'm so curious because I know you have a CEO and you work with your brother and your husband. Right. Um, but first, let's get into like, what what was it like opening your first salon? Well, it was definitely overwhelming and daunting and I didn't know what I was doing. And I was, you know, on the phone with the cosmetology board like every five minutes and trying to figure out where I was going to get towels and how much electricity we needed because of the bow dryers. And it was, it was a lot. And, and I think it was a good like rite of passage for me to like just have to dig in and figure all these things out. And I mean, it's kind of a joke now that I'm not allowed to sign anything because I signed us into a towel contract that theoretically... <laughs> a towel would, contract? Well, because, you know, we needed towels yeah. to wash people's... We were washing people's hair, but I signed a contract that basically didn't allow us to get out of that contract for like without... without in less than three years for less than like $50,000 or something crazy like that because I didn't like read the fine print because I was like, sure, I'll take the towels. And it ended up being pretty like crazy, that whole situation. But anyways, so I, you know, you, that was a really good lesson for me of like someone should read your contracts before you sign them. Absolutely. You know, I mean, you just don't know that it's when crazy you're how new. the smallest things can be like snafus. Yeah. And just like, wait a minute, towels? Like this was just on my, I think this was like, a, it was like, this was like, yeah, it was a checklist item. And but it's it's interesting how we've grown and you just don't you don't know what you don't know. And so that was a lot of what I didn't know when I was starting. We had a good friend of ours who was a lawyer who was helping me navigate it a little bit, but I was really doing all the heavy lifting and, and making mistakes like signing into, you know, fifty thousand dollar towel contracts. So <laughs> now, I mean, that was those were in the early days and my husband was still at his advertising job. My brother was running a real estate marketing company and you know, I was really doing everything on my own with my, except my husband was building the dry bar website and my brother was helping and that all of that with the business side of things a little bit. But we, you know, at that point we just didn't know if it was going to work. And, and once we opened and, and it worked and we realized that people loved this, this concept, then it, then I was like to Michael, my brother, I was like, you've got to quit your job and we have to open more locations because we had women coming in and they're like, 
and who lived in Brentwood who were like, why are these Beverly Hills women coming in? Give them their own shop. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. such madness. And we, you know, we were totally understaffed and we were just were not ready for how busy it got right from the get-go. And so we, you know, quickly kind of moved and tried to get hire more stylists. And I, at that point, I didn't even know if there'd be enough stylists out there that liked blow drying hair and just finishing hair the way I always loved. I mean, when I used to cut hair, I couldn't wait to get through the haircut to do the blowout because mm-hmm. that's when it really came to life. And I didn't know if there'd be enough stylists out there that also liked that. Luckily there are, and there, you know, there was, and so we were off, but it was crazy. I mean, I remember the very first day we opened and I called my husband and I was like, it's a madhouse. Like we, we have a line out the door. We didn't have enough stylists. I was, I was doing blowouts in the first station and like running the front desk. And it was so crazy in a great way. And we were all like crying and we were like, holy shit, we're on to something. And, and it was a really exciting moment. And then, you know, and we realized like we had to keep going. So That's so cool. Where was your second location? In Studio City, ironically, okay. yeah. Studio so City. did you move from Brentwood to Studio City? I was living in Santa Monica when we opened our Brentwood location. Oh, wow. and, and, you know, the Brentwood location was kind of random because I didn't know Brentwood all that much. And I was living in Santa Monica. And that's when – this was 2010. So, like, Montana Avenue was, like, a total ghost town. Like, stores were closing left and right, but landlords weren't lowering rent. So it was a ghost town and no one was renting. And then uh, – you know, I looked at like in the Palisades because I had a lot of clients in the Palisades, but the Palisades felt like a little too removed. And I had a friend who lived in Brentwood and everything was kind of like business was just not great then, but that felt very neutral and like a great place for all of my mobile clients could go mm-hmm. Brentwood. So we opened right on in Brentwood Gardens on San Vicente and that was a good first spot because it was so central to so many people. I mean, you went from something that could have been very manageable I mean, it sounded crazy when it opened. But manageable. One salon. Easy. You know, and some people would call it a day. You have close to 70 locations. You guys have raised around $60 million in venture capital. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give to someone who's trying to decide, should I scale this thing? Should I not? What does it take? You know, what do you, you know, just from where you sit today, what would you say it takes and um, or that someone would be getting themselves into by choosing to build a business as big yeah. as the one that you have? Well, and I think you do make a choice. We could have stopped at 10 locations and not built the kind of infrastructure we had, but we felt like there was a really big opportunity here. We also knew a lot of people were kind of on our coattails and a lot of copycats have opened up and places starting to imitate what we're doing. And, and we knew that we, we knew that there was a need for this anywhere there was women with hair. I mean, women were, were going crazy for it. And I think the, the best part of, of the whole thing, one of the best parts, the whole thing for me is like how we change women's day or their week. Like they come in and they, they're, you know, they have a hat on and they're a bun in their hair and they're like low confidence. And they walk out the door with this pep in their step and this like, you know, mm-hmm. amazing confidence that we were like, we have to like, almost like felt like a duty to bring this to women everywhere. So I think we all felt very inspired to grow the business and we were getting emails and we still, we get emails every day from different women in different locations, like open in Michigan, open here, open here. And so we're, we kind of felt like, you know, we wanted to, you know, shoot for the moon and, and open as many locations as we could. And, and then that, and that involves, as you know, like raising a lot of money. And, and it was an, it's all been a very interesting education for me because it's hard to give up equity and it's all those things that you have to do when you raise money and then finding the right partner. And that's a bit of a marriage, but I think, you know, you, you kind of have to, look yourself in the mirror and say, like, what do I really want to do? I mean, and again, we could have said, you know what, we're, we're happy with 10 locations and we'll be able to make a nice living out of this and this will be a great business. But we just felt like there was such a massive opportunity that we couldn't let it pass us by. 
So that is why we've built so much infrastructure. We hired a professional CEO. Like we've, you know, we started to just build in the business and hire people who were smarter than we were, who knew how to scale a business. who weren't just entrepreneurs. And, you know, we're very, yeah. my brother and I are very like re- reactionary. Like everything is a fire all the time and you I need know. people around you who are like, I am too. even, and, and our CEO, this guy, John Hefner, who came from OPI, he's like, we call him like the adult in the room because like, we hear a client had a bad experience and the shop was whatever. And we're like, oh my God, everything's ruined. Like we have uh-huh. to start over and like we get, we're crazy like that. And you need a balance for that. And we, and I would love to say, I recognize that, but my brother really was the one who was like, we need to bring in people who know how to do this. You totally. know? And when did you bring your CEO in? We brought him a little over two years ago, but before that we had brought in like, you know, a head of retail and a president and my brother was CEO until about, you know, until John came aboard and we, we were like running the business together, the two of us. But like I said, it was just like, we were very like, you know, without having the experience of running a company of that, of our size, you know, you just find yourself not always making the right decision. Is it scary yeah. to trust somebody though? Totally I mean, scary. Because there's people with experience and they, some of them do a good job. And- oh, totally. I was like, I was such a brat about the whole process and our private equity guys, Castanea out of Boston, which was an interesting experience finding the right private equity partner because we didn't want to just we didn't want to just take a check. We wanted to find the right partner, somebody who understood our business and our goals and our vision and all of that. And we did in Castanea. They were the ones who early on said to us that we we think you guys are going to need a professional CEO at some point. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And we kind of rolled our I kind of, I kind of rolled my eyes to it. And then when it came down to it, and they started really approaching us about it. I, you know, I think I got very protective of my brother and I felt like we had such a good thing and the culture thing was so important that I was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want like a professional CEO. And that just seems mm-hmm. so like, that's not the company where we're this like young, fun, like, you know, we have this great culture. Like, I don't want to mess it up. And they, but they're like, we'll do a search and we'll come back to you with some great candidates. And they did. And they brought us amazing people. And we talked to a couple different people who were like very established, like people, you know, like, and we were like, Eh, you know, and just I wasn't feeling it. And and John, if, if you ever saw him, he's like six five. He's this, and I would say this if he was sitting in this in Is the your room. CEO? Yeah, he's like this big burly guy, and he's like came in in a suit. And I was like, ugh, no, like from across the room. And I was, and I've I've told this story to him too. I was like, no, like just by first impressions. But after talking to him for five minutes, I was like, oh my god, I love this guy so much. And he was like you know, so just wanted to like mesh in. I mean, I think he gave this analogy when we first met him that he wanted to be like the third leg of the stool between my brother and I. Mm-hmm. And we were like, he gets it. He doesn't want to change everything. He doesn't, he wants to just carry out our vision. And I think that after talking to him for an hour or so, we were like, we love him and he gets it. And and, and we never look back and he really does. He is like very, very calm, very, he's a great manager. He's great with people. And it's been tremendous for our business isn't it so great when you're you know prejudice is like a heavy word but when you like that first surprise you know when you get to people surprise surprise yourself or you have an opinion about something because you have a professional ceo now too don't you yeah yeah and she looks like someone who would be the ceo (laughs) nasty gal but still (laughs) i've hired so many executives along the way where it's you know at the very beginning when you're "Hmm." first hiring executives you're like these people are all squares right yeah and it's such a like (laughs) you know once you realize like they're totally interesting and you know have a lot to say and like are funny and maybe they are bald or whatever it may be yeah like that's such a you know it's like then you grow up and you're like oh god wow yeah exactly really really don't matter 
What do you think about working with family? I mean, it sounds like you had a hard time with your brother at one point. Now yes. everything's fine. And now you work with your husband and your brother. Yeah. What are the pitfalls and what are the benefits and what should people look out for working with family or friends? Because Yeah. And I I've, I've both... worked with I've worked with friends and I have I found it to be very challenging working my brother and I have always been very very close. So, since the time we were like my parents always kind of joke around that he raised me and we were just we've always we were just that kind of siblings and it, there was certainly challenges in the beginning. When we were first concepting the whole idea and figuring everything out, it was like, you know, we would all have kind of our day jobs and mine was the mobile business at the time and Cameron was in advertising and Michael was running this other company and then we'd be on bed in bed on our laptops, not the three of us, just me and Cam. <laughs> Mike was in his bed somewhere else. And we'd be working on the website and we'd be working on the business and I found myself being the go-between between the two of them and that was always problematic because they would be like I don't like this and he'd be like I don't like this and I'd be like I don't really care I'm good with either way and kind of figuring out how to all three work together was a, certainly a challenge in the beginning I think the best part of it and then they started talking to each other though which mm-hmm. made life easier which mm-hmm. took me a little sure. while to figure that out but I think the, the best part about working with family and I can see how it doesn't work for everybody is the fact that there is that innate trust there, I know neither one of them are going to screw me over. I feel like, you know, there's sometimes where like there's deals happening, things happening that I don't fully always understand, but I, I know my brother has my back and, and he would, he would only do things that are in my best interest. And I make him explain things to me and I get involved in a lot of things, but there is that trust that's pretty remarkable to have when you're working with, with family that you feel so closely with as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, and, and I'm sure that that exists in partnerships too, but, you kind of always, I'm sure, are it's, looking over yeah. your shoulder a little bit. Everyone has their own motive. You right. Know, when it's not family, it's like everyone's in it for themselves to a certain mm-hmm. extent, even if they're like the right. best people and they are in it for the business too. And best intentions. Everyone's look, kind of looking out for themselves to a certain extent. So that's really, that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky. I, I mean, I could see, I meet so many people who are like, I could never work with my brother. That's the craziest thing I ever heard. And I get that. And we've had... We've had some knockdown fights and we've had our moments, but at the end of the day, I, don't, I wouldn't trade it for the amount of trust that you have yeah. with family. So tell me about a normal day. Is there a normal day for you? And then what is it that you focus on vis-a-vis your brother? Like what is what are your roles? You know, well, it's definitely evolved and changed over the years. It used to be much more involved in the day-to-day where I'm, I'm able to kind of have a, a bit of a bird's eye view now, which is a really kind of fun place to be where there's so many other great people in our company that are overseeing the day to day and helping with that. But I think for my focus is, and then that has been a tough transition to give up that kind of, you know, that, that kind of control and to go from making every single decision to not making every single decision and just trusting the people that you brought in is, as you know, is really can be really challenging. But I think for, for the most part, you know, I'm working on, I still develop all the product so that that's, you know, our product business has grown tremendously. We're in Sephora, we're in Nordstrom, we're in um, Ulta. So we have a really, and we're about to go international with all of our products. So we have a lot, a lot of product, which has also been, I think it was a big surprise to everybody in, in the business, including my big brother who was like, I didn't realize you knew how to make product. I'm like, well, I didn't realize I knew how to make product either, mm-hmm. but I have 20 years experience doing hair and I've tried everything out there and I wanted a very specific thing for our for what we do, which is just blowouts. So that is a really big focus of mine. And then I, you know, I'm, then I'm doing a lot of press, and I'm I'm still very involved in the training that's going on in the shops in terms of like how the stylists are actually executing blowouts, which 
is why the book was such a fun mm-hmm. exercise, I guess, you know, to, it's very fundamental based. So it's like breaking it all back down. So there's, you know, there's a lot of more on the creative side. What I, what I don't have to do as much anymore, which I probably wasn't very good at is like, you know, that the day-to-day management of the shops and making sure they have what they need. But of course I'm in the shops all the time and I'm the toughest critic and, you know, there's always going to be trouble when I walk in a shop just because you know that like it's just nothing is ever as perfect as you want it to be. And I mean, I will, I will start sweeping. I will start like cleaning and everybody is like, you know, up in arms because they're like, oh shit. Yeah, they're like, oh shit. You know, cause I can't walk in like a client does. And I know that clients walk in and they love it and it's, it's so great and it's such a great environment. But I walk in and see like the 13 things that are wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's like a blessing and a curse, I guess. But I think you need somebody like that in your company that's kind of keeping everybody on their toes and not letting those little details fall through the cracks. Absolutely. What does your brother do? So he does a lot in the real estate space. And, you know, both him and I, we we work still a lot with like the PR and marketing of everything. And that my husband does all like you know, marketing and anything like customer facing that you see. And we all still kind of collaborate in a lot of that stuff but he like kind of geeks out on like the numbers and things he's always pulling reports and you know and he's and he'll send emails out to like some of our managers and be like you guys had the best week you know and and so he's always digging in on that stuff too and keeping people on their toes in that regard you know where I I don't get as into the numbers it just isn't kind of I mean I I like the numbers and I, I know what's going on with the numbers but I think the creative side of it is where I tend to get drawn to so you're on a crazy press tour now for yes is this your first book yeah yeah. And it's called Good Hair for All. The Dry Bar Guide to Good Hair for All. And it basically <laughs> teaches you how to hack dry bar and do it yourself, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Tell me about your book and just the process of putting it together and Well, we've we've done a lot of like dry it yourself videos as we call it, where we're you know, we're teaching people how to do basically how to do blowouts, but they usually are taking away a couple of like pieces that they are struggling with. And we've had so much success with that, which I think is why I was approached to do a book because there, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very big mystery, I think, for most women of how to do your hair. And this book really breaks down a lot of that and helps women with, you know, you can give yourself a whole blowout or if like you're just struggling with like, how the hell do I do my bangs or why is my hair always so frizzy? There's something in there for everyone. And I actually even pulled like friends and, you know, some of our clients and said like, what's your biggest burning hair question? And there's a lot of that in there too. So I feel like it's everything that I've accumulated in 20 years of doing hair that I've tried to put into a book. I feel like what I'm learning is just that, which I don't possess, is that the biggest um, like hair trick is to actually just have patience. <laughs> it is, and take your time. I mean, I get asked all the time, like for magazines and which stuff, is why like you should just go to dry bar. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, "How do you do a great blowout in 15 minutes?" I'm like, "You don't. Like, you can't do a great. It doesn't. It doesn't exist." I'm like, "You can do a couple of things." to like enhance what you have, but it's like very methodical and it takes time. It does take 45 minutes, give or take, yeah. to give yourself a great blowout. And how much is a blowout at Dry Bar? 45. Okay. No matter how long, short, curly, straight. Cool. Um, okay. So I guess I end the podcast with the same question, which was, which is what was your girl boss moment of the last week? And a girl boss moment can be just the time, you know, like you said, like, I, oh my gosh, I just need that time for myself where I feel like I'm in control of my life, whether it's like totally turning off and hanging out with my kids, getting a facial or, you know, signing up like a new huge retailer with yeah. your, your product line. Yeah. Um, what would you say your girl boss moment in the last week was, Allie? Well, having known a little bit about this podcast, I did actually think about it, which, by the way, was such like a good thing to think about because I found myself over the last week 
knowing I was coming to see you, thinking about that. And so I was like, huh. It's a good like mental exercise. It's nice to stop and be like, what did I do? What am I proud of? You know, and I think that I am very proud of a lot of things. But I think the thing that stands out most, which is what kind of what you were just asking about balance, um, that I'm, I feel like I'm always striving for is, you know, it's kind of silly, but, um, I, we do, we also sell our products on QVC. So I, but it's in Philadelphia and it's across the country. So it's kind of a pain to go out there. And it's like between the 7,000 other things I have going on, it's always hard to make that work. But I, I was able to like, it had turned out I needed, they wanted me to go on two days before Thanksgiving. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going, like, I'm not leaving my family. And I was like, I'm just not going to do it. And I have, that's like one of my big things is trying to say no more because mm-hmm. you get into a mess if you never say no. And I was like, but I was getting a lot of pressure and I was like, you know, how can I like make everybody happy here and what can I do? And, and I figured it out my kids were off of school that week. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take my whole family to New York and I'm going to run out to Philly do my QVC and run back. And I, and I was able to make it work with my schedule and my whole family going. And it felt like a very empowering moment where I'm like, I'm, I'm making everybody happy. I'm going to QVC to do what I need to do, but I'm going to take my kids with me. So my kids don't give me shit for not spending time with them, which my 11 year old has gotten very good at. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they are excited because now they get to go to New York city for a couple of days and I get to do what I need to do for work. And I get to be with my family, That's which so is cool. like the greatest thing. So it's I think that was such a good time in New York. Yeah. And I, well, we love, I grew as a kid, I went, my parents took us to New York a lot and I grew up with such a deep love for New York city, which is why I moved when I was in my twenties to New York. And I want my kids to have that same sense of love for New York. So that's a good one. Win-win. That's so cool. Allie, thank you so much for coming on Girl Boss Radio. Thanks for having me. It's so fun. This is fun. And now for some girl boss moments. Girl boss moments are a time in your week where you feel like you're in control of your life. That can mean getting a raise, saving money for retirement, I don't know, taking your dog on an extra long walk or meditating every day of the week. Whatever it is to you, you can send in your girl boss moments at hashtag girl boss moment via Twitter or Instagram. I read them on this podcast and then we pick out our favorite girl boss moment, interview you more in depth and publish it on girlboss.com. So send them in guys. Sarah M. Colvin at Sarah Bunny says paid off $1,558.76 of interest on my student loans. I might have cried as I did it, but I did it like a girl boss. It's awesome. Daniela Castellanos says my Kickstarter has achieved initial target 120% funded in less than 24 hours. Hashtag girl boss. Hashtag girl boss moment. Hannah Anissa at The Road to Hannah says, My entire life I've struggled through math class. Today I not only aced my math test, but got above a perfect score. That's amazing. How do you do that? (laughs) Brooke Dexter at Dextabro says, Girl boss moment of getting my first real paycheck today. Oh my God. Congratulations. Get used to it. Kim Struglinski says, When you edit your retirement fund contributions to take full advantage of the company match program, that's a girl boss moment. That is one. Joanne Encarnacion says, my girl boss moment this week is learning that I can't do it all and accepting that things won't be perfect all the time, but I'm doing my best. Join the club. That's my girl boss moment this week. Jessica Gamble at the Jess Gamble says, my girl boss moment diplomatically let go of an assistant while trusting my reactions and decisions. Caitlin Milio says, flew to Mexico for 24 hours for my first international new business meeting. Cool. Moro says, I took a day off to go to the beach and sit watching the waves and journaling for hours. Nature is good for you. Oh, man, is it? 
<sighs> my girl boss moment. What is my girl boss moment? Uh, my girl boss moment, I think, is just surviving the week, guys. Um, I'll keep you posted on more later. <laughs> and now, time for Girl Boss Hotline. If you guys have any girl boss related life questions, work questions, career questions, hey, maybe even relationship questions, I might be qualified. Call 1 844 Girl Boss and I'll answer them the following week on the podcast. You call the 800 number, ask your question, we'll play your recorded question on the podcast. So send me your questions all about being a girl boss, questions like asking for a raise, work attire, taking time off, relationships, whatever it is, when it comes to being a girl boss, I want to hear from you and know what you're thinking about. Okay, guys, that was another episode of Girl Boss Radio. We'll be back next week, so please tune in. Our producer is Cher Morris. Thanks also to Odelia Rubin, Kristen Meinzer, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. To stay in touch with all things Girlboss, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Girlboss. You can sign up for our newsletter, Girlboss Diary, by going to girlboss.com, and you can follow me at Sophia Amoruso. Pretty much anywhere social media is found. Uh, I hope Girlboss Radio helps you to achieve your goals, so help us achieve ours. Subscribe to us on iTunes and tell your friends about this podcast. Thank you also to the band Phases for our theme song. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll talk to you next week.